Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. Good evening, I'm William Hosea. Welcome to Bring It On, a multiple award-winning program celebrating over 12 years as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting African Americans. Good evening, I'm Liz Mitchell, and in today's broadcast, you'll also hear our perspective on what's relevant in the African American world of news and local events of interest, all in the next hour here on Bring It On. First up, the mission of the Indiana Democrat African American Caucus, known as IDAC, is to enhance the Democratic Party's inclusion of African Americans in decision-making, elections, public office appointments, and party positions. Joining us tonight to more fully discuss the IDAC and their legislation agenda for this year is their president, Tanya did I say that Tonda. right? Tonda. Tonda, okay. Yes, ma'am. Tonda, Polly. Tonda, welcome to Bring It On. Thank you for coming in this weather and everything. That was really gracious of you. Thank you so much. Yeah, we must have been uh, pretty important to you for you to drive <laughs> all the way up from Evansville, and, and we, we definitely could have done this by phone, but we appreciate you being here. Oh, absolutely. Now, um, I, I want to ask. start off by asking you the history of the Indiana Democrat African American Caucus. I'll start off with just saying I'm thankful to be here, and I appreciate this opportunity you all have given me to explain what IDAC is, because a lot of people don't know. Um, The Indiana Democrat African American Caucus was founded in 1992 by 25 members from up and down the state. Um, Most prominent are Senator Billy Bro, Representative Charlie Brown, Representative Judy Carson, Honorable Rudy Clay, Representative Bill Crawford, and Sidney Taylor from Evansville, who was the state president of the NAACP at that time. Um, Senator Earlene Rogers, Earl McNary, Charles Redd, they came together because they felt like the Democratic Party was just taking us for granted. And they wanted to make sure that we had a seat at the table and that we had representation on the ticket from the state house on down to the local levels. So they worked hard, and that's when Karen Freeman Wilson Mm -hmm. was the first to run for that office. But they put mayors in place. Um, They put the city councils in place. They put the townships in place, and they put the counties in people in place. But as the years rolled on, I think we came, became complacent in what our mission was, and the chapters start, started falling off. Well, I felt like it was going through a process of when one Afri- African-American is gone, which is in companies as well. I've seen that. I've lived it. Um, the companies, if an African-American retires, we don't get replaced with another African-American. 
So that's when you start seeing the faces of the companies, the faces of government started changing back to the way it was. So we started getting the chapters back together and so we could have a seat at the table. We are one of four caucuses, um, the Indiana Young Dems, the Latino Caucus, the Stonewall Jackson Caucus, and the um, College Dems, I think are, yeah, the Latino Caucus, the Stonewall Caucus, IDAC, and the College Dems. They also have um, the IYD, the Indiana Young Democrats. Mm -hmm. okay. So the caucuses have come together to try to push that agenda and so the Democrat Party will have the face, and they say they want to be inclusive, and we've talked to John Zodi. Chairman Zodi has been wonderful to work with to get this accomplished. So the face of the Democrat Party, when people see the Democrat Party, they'll see different faces, mm -hmm. yeah. our faces, right, right. minority faces, uh, LGBT faces. So this is where we are at this point. And do you think uh, the Democrat Party would be wise to um, accept as many caucuses as possible, especially now, because they need as much help as they can get? There are some caucuses um, we're putting in place now, because um, I served on the Rules Committee. We're putting in place now how you can become a caucus in your own right. Like we have uh, the senior caucus, and I think the labor, they're wanting to be a caucus as well. The women caucus, they're trying to become a part. You can't never have enough caucuses okay. mm -hmm. because each individual caucus has its own agenda, but we've learned through this past election that we need to work together and everybody was working on their separate issues right and not right. working together uh-huh so we've become we we started working together we met with him like I said and shortly I can say um you'll see a change in the face of the Democratic Party here in Indiana looking forward to it mm-hmm oh yes definitely um what was there a pivotal point in your life that led you to become politically active? Did something happen? I think I I grew up in an era when segregation was going on and I know I'm dating myself, but um I grew up in Virginia, North Carolina. So Martin Luther King came and spoke in Danville, Virginia, and my mother took me to to see him. And it was like, this man is powerful. This man wants to bring our people together. And that's when we started having our own identity. And then I went through a phase where I was militant and, <laughs> if I can say that. <laughs> but I went through that phase, and we had breakfast programs, free breakfast programs, and we have after-school tutoring so when the cops started coming and doing stuff to us, then we just said, okay, we need to learn to work within the system. Right. Because as long as we're going this route, 
we're not getting anything accomplished because they say the bad. They don't never say the good that we're doing. So I learned to work within the system and I became my family's always been Democrats, Democrats. Mm -hmm. But um, I was I guess I always say I was born a Democrat and I'm going to die a Democrat. I hope I can do something that will make the change for the next generation. And I understand you have some political roots here in Bloomington. Yes. You want to tell us about that? I just love to talk about him. And that's Congressman Francis X. McCloskey. Mm -hmm. He was a giant among men in my eyesight. I could never have worked for him had I. Mike Vandiver became mayor of Evansville during his first term. And he needed, uh, he wanted a diverse staff. So they came and asked me, do you want to work for Frank McCloskey? And I said, sure, you know, I consider that an honor. And I got to meet people like Julia Carson and um, John Lewis. Mm-hmm. And Tip O'Neill came down to Evansville to do a, do fundraisers for him. But he was well-respected, and I was awe of him because the congressional IBLC had so much respect for him, and people across the aisle had respect for him right? because he was a straight-up guy. I used to call him the gentle giant, and he wasn't tall but his he walked like a common man. He mm-hmm. he was a common person, but he had goals, and he expected those same goals to be our goals. And if we didn't do, he better he better be up on what was happening in this district because he cared about people. Mm-hmm. And you all's loss was our game, so. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, you talked about uh, the youth caucus. Do you see uh, youth becoming more politically active? Because I really hadn't noticed that. I guess they call them the millennials. Yeah. Um, But our African-American young people, they don't consider themselves millennials. They just call themselves young Democrats. Yeah, well, we're the ones that come up with all the labels. Yeah. 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 They just consider themselves young Democrats. They have college Democrats, and they have a high school Democrat group as well. So they're beginning to train the the college Dems are training the high school Dems, and then the Mm -hmm. young Dems are training the college Dems to follow them, and then we're (coughs) trying to work with the young Dems to take over our our places, right? Because um, Ashley Ger- Gervitz, who was the past president of the Young Dems, she's excellent. Um, Alexander Alexander Burton, mm-hmm. um, Janelle Glass from Evansville, Lori Sherman, who ran for office in um, last year. Where, she ran for she? office in Evansville. Okay. She ran for um, Gail Regan's seat. And so they're, they're there. We just have to tap into them. And I've been trying to tap into them, and we're going to get a, our IDAC chapter back started in Evansville so that we can pull these young people in Jeffersonville in between Evansville 
and we're going to try to pull all these young people up north as well into to training, and we need to train and vet them to run for these offices. Um, just so our listening audience would know, why is it so important to be become politically involved? Because, like somebody once said, and I think the saying goes, if you don't vote, you don't have a voice. You can't complain if you don't vote. So we have got to stress that the ballot box holds a lot of power. The, the groups, the caucuses hold a lot of power. The individual groups hold a lot of power. We just have to focus that power and push that power in a, in a positive direction so that we can be heard. Because if you sit back and wait for somebody else to do it, it's not going to ever get done. And uh, while you were quoting, you reminded me of one of my favorites. If you, if you don't have a seat at the table, you must be on the menu. I like that. I love it. I like that. But uh, I want to get back to the purpose of uh, IDAC, and that is to enhance the Democrat Party's inclusion of African Americans, uh, uh, so on and so forth. But what do you find is most difficult about getting African Americans involved, especially the younger ones? I think they, and I told a group of them, um, they work for these big companies and they have these well-paying jobs. Well, I ask them this question when I go to them, where do you think, how do you think it was possible for you to get these jobs if not on the backs of us who fought to get these jobs for you Hello. and us? <laughs> Yes. So think about that. So they look at me and they'll say, well, you're right, Miss Tonda, you're right. And then they come on around. But you got to tell them the yeah. truth. You you didn't, didn't get it on your own. So what, in your opinion, are some of the issues that are politically unique to African-Americans? Um, jobs, one. Health care, two. And how about education? Education. Yeah. And yeah. education as well. Just so our listening audience, uh, whoever just tuned in, will know we are speaking with uh, Tonda Pauly, and she's with the uh, African American um, uh, Democratic Party. Um, caucus and so that's who we're talking to this evening i was thinking too we have all these caucuses and we know we have a lot of work still to do mm -hmm. um a lot of people seem to think we well, we had a black president everything's cool y'all need to sit down and shut up but in totally recent agree. light of this recent election you know there's a lot of work to do and so uh, one thing that um, has kind of bothered me is the incarceration rate. And so with this caucus, do we work on those issues? I know we need the jobs, and I know we need education and health. But along with that, it seems like there's so many important things. But incarceration, that high rate of young men 
and the money being made off their backs. It's almost like slavery days are back again. It is. So are, do we have a caucus dealing with those issues? That's something that we could take up as an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, we just had in Evansville last week, it's called a pipeline to prison, where they discussed, unfortunately, the superintendent, David Smith, felt like he didn't need to attend. He sent a couple of minions to do his, you know, to mm-hmm. be there for him. So that tells me that he wasn't interested in what anybody had to say because the expulsion rate of our children are way higher and they don't have the faces to see in these schools or to relate to because when I worked at the schools, the kids would come in there and they just gravitated toward me. Mm-hmm. You know, we glad you're here, you know, and I would talk to them and just build them up. It seems like they they're being torn down and they're set up for failure. That's that's my opinion as far as the public education goes. I don't know if this is statewide, but I know in Evansville it's bad because you see these kids um we've got alternative schools too as a matter of fact. It shouldn't be that many. Do, it shouldn't. Do you think that um um, those situations exist, uh, do you think it's directly tied to a lack of involvement on, on the black community? Whereas if we had more people of color sitting on the school board, then they would address those issues and, and force some changes. So I'm, I'm assuming that's one of the reasons for the existence of IDAC. I, I, we have one on the school board we have three principals, two who are ready to retire in a few years, which is bad. In Evansville? Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't done a study, and I think that's what, that's what we should do, is to look at statewide, the education. Because Glenda Ritz, when she was um, superintendent, state superintendent, she was really involved in trying to see how to take this back down and make it equal and not so much. And she understood that our kids, the majority of the kids that were being expelled were our kids. So there was something lacking. There are no counselors. There are no teachers, per se. It's hard to get a job if you don't know somebody. And it's, I call it the good or bore system, either way you look at it. But, and that's my my personal opinion, mm-hmm. having grown up like I, like I, I, I have and have had two get keep two kids go through that system, so I think we need to. I think that's something we need to look at. Okay, do you see yourself as an activist? Is that something you'd call yourself an activist? Yeah, a community activist. I I don't see myself as being radical, but I will say what I think and what I think is wrong and, and put up some, some suggestions as to what we can do to make things better for my people, 
And like I said, the caucuses have all come together where we have a common goal because it's not just us. We have to work with them as well Mm -hmm. instead of being fragmented. And the Latino caucus has reached out to me to uh, collaborate on some things in Muncie, in Gary, in Evansville, where there is a large Hispanic and black community. And we could collaborate on some things to pull them in because they vote, too. Yes. So we need to get our voting base together and get the outreach together because that's what I think they said inclusiveness this last election, but nobody saw it. So that's what I think hurt us in the in the last election. We lost a couple of seats. We've got twelve people in the IBLC that has not changed since I've known any of them. And that's bad. Mm-hmm. You know, um with the election of the new uh, Democratic Party chair, who, who was it, Tom Perez mm-hmm. and Keith Ellison. Mm-hmm. Now, I heard them say that they want to resurrect that 50-state that strategy, you know, you know, something that, that the Democrats at the national level had, got, had gotten away from. So exactly. when they do come back into the states, are they going to come down uh, to, the, to the lower levels and interact with the caucuses as well? Or are they only going to, and I don't know if you know the answer to this, but are they only going to communicate with the uh, with the, the parties at chairs. the state level? Yeah. Um, I think they will come in to the central committees, which represent all the districts and the caucuses as well. Uh, Chairman Zodi at this point um, is putting together a 92-county strategy. Okay. So that's the, going to be the next step, and we're going to work hard on that. Um, this is going to be everybody's got to be on board, the district chairs as well as the caucuses, the vice chairs, to try to pull in people and try to figure out the. we got rural people, we got working people, mm-hmm. we got farmers, we've got educators, we've got people from all works of li- walks of life. Uh-huh. In Indiana, I've never seen a state like this. When I first came here in 70, I, when I was marrying Bart here, I was thought, does this state really exist? You know, <laughs> because I'd never been here because it's so versified. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you, you mentioned that uh, they would probably communicate with the central committees at the state level. IDAC has a, has a seat uh, on the central committee. Is that correct? Correct. So, so they will definitely hear your voice. Correct. And um, when you were uh, talking about reaching out and you named different cities, are you heavily? Are there people here in Bloomington that are heavily involved in this? Do you know? Aha! <laughs> good, good. Yeah, because I was going to say, Mr. William Hosea. Okay, well, all right, now that's my brother. Yes, Mr. William Hosea. Yeah. yeah we, we just recently started up a black caucus here in uh, in Monroe County. Okay. And and we're already working on some projects, and I will bring you up to date on those. Okay, very good. And we're going to, um, I asked him, would they, would they please collaborate with us? Because they, they are a bright group of people, and I would love to work with them. Mm-hmm. Because like minds, 
always turn out something positive. And and something honestly, good. I don't see how we so. could not work with you to do, to do what <laughs> yeah. we need to do. Yeah. Uh, do you know uh, the number of African-Americans currently elected in office in our state? No, I, I, we've been trying to get that information uh, from the state party. Right. But since the new elections, then they haven't, the last data they had was 2012, so I didn't think that was comparable. But as soon as I get it, um, I know we have um, Karen Freeman Wilson and the IBLC has 12 members. Karen Freeman Wilson's and Mayor and Gary, Connie Robinson Blair, she sits on the council in Evansville. Stephanie Terry sits on the county council in Evansville. Sharon Freeman sits on the Indian, Indianapolis City County Council. So, and, and, and I know they have a, a lot more people, but just to name a few, but I know it's quite a, quite a few of them. Mm-hmm. It's not near as much as I think it should, um, but we're getting there, and we're going to get there, especially in southern Indiana. We need to, and they keep saying we have only 13% in Vanderburg County. I know that, but we need to get more representation in the state house, according to the black population in the state of Indiana. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I saw a chart recently on uh, Meet the Press that uh, Chuck Todd posted. It has some very um, discouraging numbers on it. But since 2008, Democrats have lost 11 Senate seats, 63 House seats, 12 governorships, and 946 state legislative seats nationwide. Ooh. So if that's how it affected the Democrat Party, then I, I can imagine that the African Americans within that party were just devastated. Because you know when America has a cold, black America gets the flu. Exactly. So, how does well my first question is what did democrats do wrong in that eight years now i know some of it was not self-inflicted like gerrymandering that that helped Mm -hmm. a lot and uh voter id voter suppression Mm -hmm. but we can't blame it all on uh uh uh, you know on republicans what did democrats do wrong or the, the leadership in those eight years i think a lot of it was um the Republicans fought Obama tooth and nail. We had a candidate in Kentucky. Um, I can't remember what her name was. Allison London Allison London Grimes. Grimes. She. They asked her, and she had it won. She had it won. She had. She was beat Mitch McConnell right and left. She mm-hmm. They asked her, are you supporting, did you support Barack Obama? Of course, I would have said. She couldn't say yes. That's what I'm saying. She couldn't say yes. I would have said yes. He's the sitting commander in chief. He's the head, really the head of the party. So you can't even say yes, you supported him? And when she couldn't say yes, Democrats just pulled back from her, labor pulled back from her, everybody did. And I didn't think she deserved to win after that. I didn't either. Wow. 
She couldn't say yes. She couldn't say, and a lot of them couldn't. I mean, That's... she hemmed and hawed and, and, and mm-hmm. fumbled and stumbled, and could, and she said everything but yes. She should have been able to sit there proudly and say, "I voted for Barack Obama." Yes. You know, instead, her uh, sh- uh, and other Democrats were running away from his record despite his successes. So. And they couldn't even say they voted for him. Don't get me started here. Yeah. <laughs> Don't get me started either, my brother. <laughs> Liz, why don't you take the last question? Okay. Do you feel the support of Evansville's African-American community? We've come a long way. Um, when we we had some problems down in Vandenberg County, and it was all in the all over the state in the state paper, um, when the Republican mayor we have now was running the first time. It kind of split the party. Um, But now they see, and they're willing to get the IDEG chapter back started Mm -hmm. and to work to get, because they'll be stepping down. We need more representation on the city council instead of one. We need more representation on the county council instead of one. Um, When people retire, we want to see an African-American put somewhere. They're they're doing better than we are, aren't they? We have zero on either council and school board. Here in Bloomington? Yes. As progressive as this town is, that my congressman came out of? (laughs) We're working on it, though. Yeah, yeah. It's like pulling teeth, but yeah, we're pulling. <laughs> well, as you you know, when the conversation is going well, we always run out of time. But that only means, that gives us a reason to get you back on at some point in the future. <laughs> yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, our thanks to uh, Tonda. You're Pauly, welcome. President You're welcome. of Indiana Democratic African American Caucus for joining us this evening to discuss the IDAC and their legislative agenda for this year. To learn more about the IDAC, visit www.indems.org backslash Indiana dash Democrat dash African dash American dash caucus. Might I suggest you just Google it? Yes, there you go. The Indiana Dems. Um, can I say one more word? Yes, please. The Indiana, um, which is a, a great boon for us. Um, they have they have put all the caucuses on the Democrat Party website. So all you have to do is click on it, and then you'll bring you to the caucuses. Okay. And the contact. Okay, and you had named several caucuses. So if there's anything that our listening audience is interested in, all they have to do is go to that website. Go to the Indiana Dems website. Indiana Dems. Website, Google it, um, and then all the caucuses are listed. Okay. Okay. Bring It On has an open submission policy. So if you have any ideas for this program, we would like to hear what they are. Send an email directly to our volunteer staff. The address is bringiton at wfhb.org. We want to make sure we share anything and everything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. That email address, once again, bringiton at wfhb.org. Support for WFHB comes from Bloom Magazine. 
The editors of Bloom Magazine believe local businesses are endangered by online shopping and they encourage you to shop locally. More information is available at magbloom.com. Support for WFHB also comes from Cardinal Spirits. Located at 922 South Morton Street, Cardinal Spirits is an Indiana craft distillery in Bloomington making whiskey, gin, vodka, rum, and liquors. Open every day. Kids and dogs welcome on the patio. Hours and more information at 812-202-6789 or online at cardinalspirits.com.
You just heard I'll Take You There by the iconic singer Mavis Staples of the Staples Singers. With Mavis's voice and pop songs, singing and guitar playing, the Staples evolved from enormously popular gospel singers to become the most spectacular and influential spirituality-based group in America. By the mid-1960s, the Staples Singers, inspired by Pops's close friendship with Martin Luther King Jr., became the spiritual and musical voices of the civil rights movement. To keep up with the local news and find out what's happening beyond the scenes at WFHB, you're invited to like the WFHB Facebook page. Go to Facebook.com and search for WFHB. Or you can always visit the WFHB News website at WFHB.org slash news. Bring It On is Indiana's only public affairs program dedicated to the African-American community here on WFHB 91.3 FM and live on the web at WFHB.org. It is time now to give you the latest perspective on the people, news, and issues affecting the black community. For Bring It On, I'm Liz Mitchell. I'm William Hosea. And... First up, Secretary of Housing and Urban Development Ben Carson referred to slaves as immigrants, dreaming of a better life (laughs) in a talk with department employees. Okay, excuse me while I compose myself. Yes. (laughs) That's what, quote, this is a quote, that's what America is about, a land of dreams and opportunity. Carson said, there were other immigrants who came here in the bottom of slave ships, worked even longer, even harder for less. I I personally like to know who they were. That's what America is about. Carson, longtime supporter of President Trump, who was sworn in as HUD secretary last week, compared abortion to slavery during his bid for the Republican presidential nomination. During slavery, and I know that's one of those words you're not supposed to say, but I'm saying it, During slavery, a lot of the slave owners thought that they had the right to do whatever they wanted to the slave, Carson told NBC's Meet the Press in October of 2015. What if the abolitionists had said, I don't believe in slavery, I think it's wrong, but you guys do whatever you want to do, added the retired neurosurgeon who opposes abortion even in the cases of rape and incest. So as Secretary of HUD, He's uh, starting off already with more of this, uh, these incoherent uh, 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 quotes that he's putting out that just don't make any sense. Well, and what does that have to do with HUD? Well, maybe it's a diversion because he knows nothing about uh, housing and urban development except he once lived in a house. Oh, okay. And that's a post that uh, is given to African-Americans uh, most of the time, if I remember correctly. So wh- I guess that was his payment for... I guess so. Chicago, I don't know if most of our listening audience is aware of this, but Chicago goes almost a week without a murder. Chicago went six days without a homicide for the first time in almost four years the city experienced no fatal shootings from February 26th 
to March 5th. And this report comes from Fox 32 Chicago, Fox News. The last time the city went so long without a murder was in December of 2012, when the city had a six-day stretch of no fatal shootings, according to an analyst of crime data by the Chicago Tribune. The death of Antoine D. Watkins marked the end of the recent pause on fatal shootings. Cook County Medical Examiner's Office said he died due to multiple gunshot wounds Sunday afternoon. His body was recovered about a block from his home in an empty parking lot, according to Chicago police. It's been almost two years since Chicago has gone a day without anyone being shot at all. Now, we know how bad Chicago is, William, and we also know that Indianapolis has a high rate of shootings and nothing has been mentioned. So I guess we're still seeing um, death and homicide on a regular basis within 50 miles of us here in Bloomington. And that has become a, uh, a political point for Donald Trump. He always talks about how bad it is in Chicago. Uh, but of course, he didn't say anything about the good news about the sh uh, no shootings in Chicago. And ironically, the place where he goes to vacation at uh, uh, his Mar-a-Lago, mm -hmm. I think that's in West Palm Beach, Yes, has a higher murder rate than Chicago does. And how many times have you heard him say anything about that? I haven't. I Anyhow. Haven't. <clears throat> so all of us need to be vigilant and pay attention to things. And, and uh, it's, uh, I know it's tiresome and it's painful. And I get tired of hearing about it all the time. We got to listen and pay attention because things will slip by us. Jeff Sessions deals a blow to Black Lives Matter. The Attorney General announced a giant reversal of Department of Justice policy. Attorney General Jeff Sessions announced a major policy change that will likely have broad and real consequences for people of color around the country. At a meeting of state attorneys general on Tuesday, Sessions said that the Justice Department would pull back on the federal scrutiny of police departments for civil rights violations against people of color. Rather than dictating to local police how to do their jobs or spending scarce federal resources to sue them in court, we should use our money, research, and expertise to help them figure out what is happening and determine the best ways to fight crime. Sessions is referring to the Obama-era policy of launching civil rights investigations into troubled police departments involved in the killings of unarmed minorities. The new attorney general was dismissive of police perpetrated shootings, even suggesting that viral videos, such as the ones showing the deaths of Philando Castile or Tamir Rice, were making life more difficult for police officers. As if, okay, I'm, I'm stepping away from the article for just a minute. As if killing unarmed black men don't make their lives difficult. <laughs> well. Though he did not directly address the Black Lives Matter movement in his speech, the policy change undoubtedly puts a new roadblock in BLM's path. It's also just the latest in a line of Obama-era policies that Sessions has rolled back since his confirmation. According to reports, Sessions was the driving force behind President Trump's removal of protections
for transgender students and played a large role in the DOJ's decision to withdraw from a lawsuit challenging Texas's controversial voter ID law. Mm-hmm. Now, <clears throat> under Obama and Eric Holder, you had investigations into the Ferguson Police Department and to the Chicago Police Department and uh, where was it that Philando Castile was, was, was killed? But some of those, some of the abuse that they uncovered would never have been uncovered had it not been for those investigations. Like yes. the, the police department in Ferguson was using the black community a, as a bank account. Oh, yeah. You know, that's how they funded the police department. And same thing uh, uh, in Minnesota. I, I cannot remember the city where Philando Castile was, but this guy paid over $5,000 in fines in like a, a six year period. Yeah. And and they were doing that uh, th- through the rest of the community also. We just add up all the cities in America. Yeah, and, and that money. Not to mention the police abuse in Chicago that they uncovered. Mm. Well, William, if we got time for one more issue to discuss, uh, former White House officials are strongly refuting President Donald Trump's stunning allegation that his predecessor. Barack Obama wiretapped his phones in the Trump Tower ahead of the 2016 election. Although Obama has yet to respond to the claim himself, a spokesman to Obama called any suggestion that Obama or any White House official ordered surveillance against Trump as simply false. A cardinal rule of the Obama administration was that no White House official ever interfered with any independent investigation led by the Justice Department of Justice. Kevin Lewis said in a statement early Saturday afternoon, as part of that practice, neither President Obama nor any White House official ever ordered surveillance on any U.S. citizen. Any suggestion otherwise is just simply false. You know, I, I don't even know where to start on that one. Yeah, so I, I think this guy, wake, he, he he goes to sleep, he dreams, and he wakes up and tweets about it. That's the only way That's the only way to, to, to explain it. Yeah, somebody please take that phone. No more tweeting. That was a look at African-American headline news from around the world for this week. Tune in again next week for the latest news on and for the African-American community. We want to know what you think of current black issues. Send your comments to bring it on at WFHB.org. And for Bring It On, I'm Liz Mitchell. I'm William Hosea, and you are listening to Bring It On, Indiana's only public affairs program dedicated to the African-American community. Here on WFHB 91.3 FM on your radio and live on the web at WFHB.org.
You have just heard Respect Yourself, another classic by the legendary group, the Staples Singers. It's time to bring you the events of interest in the black community for Bring It On. I'm William Hosea. And I'm Liz Mitchell. The Housing Choice Voucher Program Section 8 wait list will be opening soon. The Bloomington Housing Authority will accept online pre-applications for the Housing Choice Voucher Program uh, Section 8. Applications are only available electronically via the online application portal. The online pre-application and additional information is located at www.bhaindiana.net forward slash application dash portal. The Housing Choice Voucher Program provides housing assistance in the form of a rental subsidy payment to provide landlords on the behalf of low-income individuals, families, seniors, and persons with disabilities for housing units they have chosen in the private rental market. Program eligibility is based on household size and income. The income limits for the program um, can be found on the website. The applications will open Tuesday, March 14th at 12 noon. And you can only apply online at www.bhaindiana.net. For details, you can go to that website or you can email dharmon at blha.net. That's D-H-A-R-M-O-N at blha.net. Or you can call 812-339-3491. Violent Intersections Women of Color in the Age of Trump. At 6 o'clock p.m., keynote speaker Kaylee Gross, professor of African American Studies at Westland University, will examine state-sanctioned violence against black and brown women, followed by a Middleway House representative who will discuss intimate partner violence against women of color in Monroe County, and IU NELC faculty member Dr. Amrita I'm sorry, Dr. Asma Afgudan will highlight uh, Islamic uh, Islamophobia and attacks on Muslim women in particular. History faculty member Amretta Myers will moderate. A justice fair will follow in the Wittenberger Auditorium at IMU, as well as a reception and book signing in the University Club. Sponsored by the Office of Vice Provost and Vice President for the Diversity, Equity, and Multicultural Affairs, the Union Board, and the Department of History. When? Tuesday, March 21st, 2017 at 6 o'clock. And it will end at 10 p.m. same date, March 21st. Wittenberger Auditorium, Indiana Memorial Union. Amrita Myers is the contact person, and the contact email is apmyers, M-Y-E-R-S, at indiana.edu. If you have an event or happening the African American community should know about, please send the info directly to the Bring It On staff. Or, if you want additional information about a calendar item that you've heard about tonight, contact us at bringiton at wfhb.org. 
Our thanks to Tonda Pauly, president of the Indiana Democrat African American Caucus, for joining us this evening to discuss the IDAC and their legislative agenda for the year. To learn more about the IDAC, visit www. Oh, to heck with it. Just Google IDAC, I-D-A-A-C, Indiana. Sounds good. Our show's executive producer is Clarence Boone. Hi, Clarence. With help from WFHB News Department Director Joe Crawford. Our news editor is Michael Nolan. Our board engineering team consists of Liz Thrasher and Floyd Hobson. Our original theme music was created by Jamal Effiam with additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I'm Liz Mitchell. And I'm William Hosea. Be sure to tune in next Monday, March 13th at 6 p.m. for a special conversation with Cherish Pryor, Indiana State Representative for the 94th District, on another edition of Bring It On, right here on your community radio station, WFHB. You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.